The following message is a presentation from Grace Baptist Church in Kettering, Ohio. But Esther chapter number 4, and let's look at verse number 14. The Bible says this, Mordecai speaking, let's look at verse number 13. It says, Then Mordecai commanded to answer Esther, Think not with thyself that thou shalt escape in the king's house, more than all the other all the Jews, for if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. But thou in thy father's house shall be destroyed, and who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? A very, very well-known phrase there, for such a time as this. Maybe you've heard that even outside of the context of church and um, people talking about the Bible. You're here for such a time as this. Well, that's where that comes from. It's a very popular phrase, for such a time as this. And what's being said there is, Esther, hey, you are here. You're in this position. You're in this place. You have this opportunity uh, for this particular reason. You are in a key place, a key position for a particular reason. And so we're going to break this apart and really see how that God weaved Esther's life up to this point in her life and used her in such a, a mighty way to save her people from annihilation. So let's ask God to, uh, to help us to understand his truth tonight, understand from this story, and gain some encouragement uh, together. Father, thank you once again for just time to pray and now time to open up your word. Would you encourage us and strengthen us with the story of Esther, we pray? and give us guidance. Help us to live according to your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. You've heard about the victim complex. Have you ever come across someone with a victim complex? Uh, everyone's out to get them, right? Uh, no matter w- what happens, it's always somebody else's fault, and it's really, they call it a victim complex. It's a, it's a mentality that people will, uh, will hold on to. It describes the personality trait of a person who believes they are constantly the victim of harmful actions of others, even when made aware of evidence to the contrary. That's, that's their mind just as I'm always the victim. You know, sometimes we can get into a mode of thinking like we're always a victim of what goes on around us. We're, all, we're a victim of our culture. We're a victim of our society. And we're, we're kind of like this bobber on the, the, the massive sea of society. And we're always being the one, uh, you know, everything's coming up against us. I want us to think of Esther, though, as a person who legitimately was plunged into very difficult circumstances, yet uh, allowed God to uh, grow her right where she was planted and allowed God to use her in a, a magnificent way. She, of, of many people in, in like circumstances, could have gotten very, very bitter. And really, Esther 4.14 and the following verses would have never come true in her life had she become an embittered uh, a cynical person. But to the contrary, as you read through the book of Esther, I don't know if you've noticed this, as you read through the book of Esther, you find a gracious spirit. Uh, whenever you come up against her, she's, she's always ha- has a, a, a gracious interaction in how she deals with, uh, with others. And, and it's, it's interesting uh, to, uh, to observe that in her life. And as I've been reading through this week, I've noticed the, the providential hand of God upon Esther's life and arranging circumstances and opening up doors and positioning her and putting her in the right place that ultimately lead, leads us to Esther 4.14 where she is being asked to make a huge decision and, and stand in the gap between 
death of her people or the life and freedom of her people. And we see that here in the, in the life of Esther. What I want to do tonight is really just uh, draw our attention to the positions that God gave her, the, the placements that God gave her throughout her life there in captivity. Notice, first of all, that her position was a difficult one. Her position was a difficult one. She was in captivity, and I want us to really grab a hold of that. Maybe you don't think of Esther in that way, but she was living in captivity. In fact, it's likely that she grew up in captivity. The Bible says in Esther 2 and verses 5 and 6, Now in Shushan the palace there was a certain Jew whose name was Mordecai, the son of Jer, and the son of Shimei, the son of Kish, a Benjaminite who had been carried away from Jerusalem with the captivity, which had been carried away with Jeconiah, king of Judah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had carried away. And so just understand that at some point in her family history, there was a, there was a, uh, a captivity or a hostile takeover of those in on Jerusalem, and she was a part of that. Now, I don't know exactly uh, how old Esther was at this time, uh, whether she was just a young child when that all happened, whether uh, her parents uh, came over in that ca- on that captivity or they grew up in that, uh, that captivity. I don't know all the, the time frame of it. We know that she has an uncle there, and we also know from uh, a little bit further on that she has, her parents have passed on. But regardless, she is a foreigner in a land of captivity uh, in the midst of a pagan country, Uh, uh, led by an absolute leader and she is in the midst of this i want us to understand she was uh she she was living every day that she woke up with the realization i'm a jew and i'm living here among those that that took my family took us captive and brought us here not not as a nice thing but as a as a hostile takeover so she was in captivity in a foreign land Um, Like Daniel, Esther lived the majority of her life in exile, in captivity. I want us to think of that. Can you imagine living in exile? Imagine the Chinese army coming over and, and taking you back to China. Or an army from Iran coming over and taking you back to Iran and you living out the rest of your days. And that, that's, that's the idea. An enemy nation took over, uh, took over uh, Jerusalem and took captives and she was, uh, her family was a part of this. I want us to realize, verse number 7, that she was an orphan. Not only was she living in a foreign land, but sometime along the way she lost her parents and is now being raised by Mordecai. It says there in verse number 7, and he brought up Hadassah was her name, that is Esther, his uncle's daughter, for she had neither father nor mother, and the maid was fair and beautiful, whom Mordecai, when her father and mother were dead, took for his own daughter. So he's raising this this daughter. She doesn't have it. I don't know if that was a painful experience, if she remembered when that happened, but at some point along the line, she lost her parents. She was an orphan. She had no living parents. But she was also under an absolute king. We don't understand that concept in America, but many people live under an absolute ruler or a dictator or under a king whose word is law. That was exactly what was going on. Verse number 8, So it came to pass when the king's commandments and his decree was heard, and when the maidens were gathered together unto Shushan the palace to the custody of Haggai, that Esther was brought also unto the king's house to the custody of Haggai, the keeper of the women. What's going on here? Uh, the first king, uh, the first queen Vashti, 
Ahasuerus is the king. Uh, his queen, Vashti, resisted his, uh, his order to come to one of his drunken balls, his parties, and show off to the, all those that had gathered. And so King Ahasuerus says uh, to go with you and uh, gets rid of his, his queen, Esther. And one of his uh, counselors comes along and says, hey, why don't you have all the virgins in the land come together and why don't you select a new uh, queen from, uh, from the selection of women that will gather together, notice, by force. By force. Imagine receiving a knock on your door saying, hey, the king wants you. Um, maybe Esther had uh, grand dreams of getting married someday uh, to someone she really loved, but uh, the, the king knocked on her door. The, the king's emissaries knocked on her door and said, hey, you're coming to the palace. This is the king's order. She lived under an absolute king. The idea that Esther's life was just super easy and without problems, sometimes we can glorify those that lived in the Bible times, but she had it rough. She wasn't living in her homeland. She had been torn away from that. That, that, was, that was an open wound among the Jews, and she was an orphan. She was living under an absolute king, and I can imagine we can find many other things in her life that were difficult, but she accepted where God had allowed her to be. And this is key. No matter where God places us, no matter the circumstances that God puts us under, we must accept those as from the hand of God. And allow God to continue to work in our lives and keep a gracious heart in the midst of all these things. She accepted where God had positioned her and what he allowed to happen in her life. And the fact is, Esther wasn't the only person that was placed, uh, placed in the midst of a foreign land. Can I remind you that the Bible says as believers, we are foreigners we are pilgrims. We are strangers. First Peter 2 and verse number 11. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust which war against the soul. Having your conversation, your lifestyle, honest among the Gentiles. Uh, the Gentiles referring there to those that don't know God. And he says, I want you to have your, your conversation, your lifestyle. I want it to be honest among them. I want you to shine as lights. He goes on, that whereas they speak of, against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which uh, they shall behold, glorify your God which, uh, in the day of visitation. And so Peter is saying, listen, you live in a world that is against God. You're a stranger. You're a pilgrim. You're a foreigner. We look for a city whose builder and maker is God. We don't belong here. This world is not my home. And how much should we, just like in Esther, accept where God has placed us, and live as strangers and pilgrims, not get attached to this, but grow where he's placed us. Accept this. Sometimes we get pretty fond of the foreign land in which we live. We allow the fleshly lust to war against our souls. We accept the battle. We, we, we take on the lust and we, we say, give me more of what's going on around us. But God says, no, uh, resist this. Live honestly as a stranger and a pilgrim in this world. Live as one who shows your good works and glorify God in the midst of all this so that God can be glorified in the day of visitation when you appear before God. I want you to notice that she had difficulty in her life, but not only was it a position of difficulty, it was a position of influence that God gave her. She accepted her position in life, difficulty and all, but, and kept a gracious spirit. But notice what God does in verse number 16, chapter 2. It says this, So Esther was taken unto the king Ahasuerus, into his house royal in the tenth month, which was a month to Beth, 
in the seventh year of his reign. He reigned about 20 years. And the king loved Esther above all the other women, and she obtained grace and favor in his sight more than all the other virgins, so that he set the royal crown upon her and made her queen instead of Vashti. So you had this whole fashion show. I mean, that's in reality what it was before the king uh, that was dictated by him. And Esther stood out for her, for her beauty, but it, the Bible says that she obtained favor and grace in his sight. I imagine, the, the Bible talks about in the book of Proverbs that beauty is deceitful and, and, and in the sense that it's vain. It, it, it doesn't exist forever, right? Don't we realize that? Uh, what we looked like when we were 20 uh, isn't what we look like maybe when we're, when we're 55, right? It, just, it changes. Things, things change. Our bodies change. Uh, beauty is skin deep, but do you realize that from the heart, uh, great beauty can come? Uh, and I would imagine that it wasn't just the physical beauty of Esther that, that grabbed the attention of the king, but a, a calm spirit, a gracious spirit. And she obtained grace and favor in his sight. Now think about this. She was a Jew. Uh, Mordecai had said, don't, don't, don't declare where you came from. Uh, I can only uh, imagine uh, uh, just the thoughts that went through her head. I, I came here, I'm in exile, I'm captive in an enemy uh, country, and now I'm the queen. What an amazing turn of events. But God gave her a position of influence in that, in that realm. Uh, God allowed this to happen. And so as a foreigner, she was placed right into the palace of the king of Hazarias. And, and, and coming off of Vashti, who is very, very mad against, he now has a queen, this Jewish lady he doesn't know is a Jew, uh, it now has grace and favor in his sight, a, a position of, of influence that God gave to, to Esther. I told you that he reigned for about 20 years. Uh, his reign was pretty extensive. It his reign covered from, from India all the way to Ethiopia. We have a map here for you to, uh, to notice this. Uh, all, that's, that's an extensive reign. Everything you see there in red is what King Ahasuerus had rule over. And that's a, that's a wide swath. So this was no small uh, position of influence that Esther had. Uh, she, she had opportunity to sway his heart, and though uh, it, it was different, later on we noticed that she wasn't before the king for 30 days, so he could go a month at a time and, and not even be around Esther, but she had influence, she had favor in his sight. And I want us to think about this, God gave her that influence. God gave her a, that influence ahead of some very disturbing circumstances that would come up against the Jewish people, but God gave her that influence. And I want you to think about the influence that God has given you. In this, in this foreign land in which we live, as, as believers, this world is not our home, what influence has God given you? What influence has God given you within your family? What influence has God given you within the workplace? What, what connections, if you were to take out your phone right now and scroll through, what connections do you have? What influence over people do you have right now in your life that God would have you to use for his purposes? You see, God was positioning Esther in a place of, of influence uh, for, the, um, for the present, but also for the future, and he would use her to influence the king in particular ways. How can you use your influence for God's purposes? How can you use your influence tomorrow for God's purposes? How can you use your influence to encourage people? 
uh, to, to push them towards the Lord Jesus Christ, or should I say, lead them towards the Lord Jesus Christ. How can you use your influence? And you're not just a, you're not just a, a nobody. God has given you influence in somebody's life. And you might not have influence over a king, but you have influence over somebody's life. You might not have influence over a, a king, but you have influence over a, a child or a grandchild who, could, uh, who God could use in a very special way. I just encourage you, what influence has God positioned you with, and are you using it? Are you ready to use it? How can you use it even in this coming year? It was a position of difficulty. It was a position of influence, but I want you to notice it was a position of providence. God had Esther in the palace at the exact right time and in the exact right place. And we notice in Esther 2, as we go along towards Esther 4.14, notice in Esther 2 and verse 21, In those days, while Mordecai, her uncle, sat in the king's gate, two of the king's chamberlains, Big Fan and Tiresh, there's some good names for you, all right? Uh, you grandparents, put that on the list to encourage your, your uh, children to name their, their kids, all right? Uh, isn't it interesting how, how that, uh, there, the, there's the names that are rooted for my My dad, boy, I'm glad, I'm glad for my mother. Uh, some of the names my dad wanted to name. Uh, I am, I'm super glad for Othniel. Uh, my sister's glad for my mother uh, stepping up and saying, hey, uh, this is what the name's going to be. Uh, some of these, these names back, I'm back, in the, and back in the past. But uh, regardless, the, the names here, Big Fan and Teresh. Of those who kept the door, so these were the gatekeeper, they were wroth and sought to lay hand on King Ahasuerus. By the way, uh, there's always been uh, turbulence in government. There's always been struggles. This is nothing, nothing is new under the sun. And so there's always been turbulence. And, and so uh, they were wroth against King Ahasuerus and they were going to try to assassinate him. By the way, later on 20, uh, at 20 year mark, he actually did end up being assassinated. So uh, I, I don't know whether uh, some of uh, those that had laid down the plans at this point had finally, uh, finally gotten the victory. But at this point, Mordecai hears it, verse 22, and the thing was known to Mordecai, who told it unto who? Esther. Now, I don't know. I, I was thinking about this today. I don't know. Perhaps Mordecai would have been able to you know, call 911 and, and get this you know, run up the, up the wire to the king. But I have to think that, that Mordecai, knowing Esther, gave a, a fast track to getting this, this plot shut down. And so Esther hears about it from Mordecai. Mordecai. Verse 22, it says, And Esther certified the king thereof in, the, in Mordecai's name. So she sent a certified message over. I don't know if he had a sign for it, like we have to sign for a certified mail today. But she sent over a certified message, and this came from Mordecai, who was sitting out, and he heard this out in the gate. And the, the, the plot was squashed. The only thing is that there is no, there is no um, notoriety or fanfare given to Mordecai at that time. That would happen much later. But I want us to realize something, that in this moment, Mordecai and Esther did the exact right thing. They did the right thing in that moment. They did the God-honoring thing in that moment and exposing the, the plot against this, man's, uh, against this man's life. And I wonder how much favor, uh, a favor that they gained during this time in the heart of the king. Now again, later on, he would come back and he would, he would honor 
uh, Mordecai with a special fanfare and a parade down the streets led by, by Haman. But right now, none of that happened. But I wonder how much, much favor was garnered in the heart. I, I can imagine that the loyalty that they proved towards the king uh, was a special, uh, a special thing to the king. And I want us just to tuck this, untuck this away and remember this. In whatever situation that God allows you to be in, please him. Please him. Now again, remember, these are people, Mordecai and Esther are people in exile. This is an enemy king. This is not their king. This, they are there because he, uh, he, was, uh, he is ruling over a nation that, that took them from their homeland. And so they could have gone right along with the plot. You know what? I'm not going to deal with it. I can just imagine maybe some of the things that might have even gone through um, Mordecai's mind. Oh, you know what? No one ever know if I didn't say anything. The plot would just go on. No one would ever know that Mordecai overheard this. But they did the right thing in that situation. And it reminds me that in every situation that God allows me to be in and God allows you to be in, please him. Please him. Allow the Holy Spirit to guide you into all truth and guide you into what is right. It was a position of difficulty. It was a, a position of, of providence. It was a position, I want you to notice number four, it was a position between life and death. And I want us to really grab a hold of this. We skip ahead to uh, verse number, uh, chapter number four. Think about, at some point along the line, this man Haman in the next chapter, uh, chapter number three, this Haman becomes second in charge. He didn't like the Jews, and in fact, it was Mordecai that really became the burr under his saddle. Because he would go down the streets and expect he really let the power go to his mind. He wanted Mordecai to bow to him. Like everyone else did, and everyone else did, but Mordecai would stand and not bow to him. Why? Because he worshipped the one true God. And so he would not bow to this, this Mordecai. So as he's passing down the street, oh, this would just really get into his crawl. And he, he decided that he wanted to put Mordecai to death and hang him. And so he, uh, he plans this all out, and he, uh, he actually makes the gallows uh, a, a place to hang um, Mordecai. And as he is going in to, uh, to, to, to finish this deal with the king, uh, the king was sleepless that night, which is amazing to me. God, God has power and control over our sleep, does he not? He gives his, uh, his beloved sleep. But that night he made him restless. And what does the king turn to? The record book, the history books, the, the book that's supposed to put you back to sleep. Hey, and he's reading along and comes across this story about this plot that was waged against him. And, uh, and he goes, did we ever do anything for this Mordecai? No. And so about that time, someone comes in the outer, uh, outer door. I was just uh, listening to this. this. This just astounds me at God's timing. And, and, and he, Haman walks in at that moment to, to ask if he could go through with this plot to put, put Mordecai on the gallows to hang him. So he asks, uh, uh, Hazuerus asks uh, uh, Haman, hey, what would you do to the man to whom the king would delight to honor? Well, the king doesn't want to honor anybody but me, certainly. He had a big head. And so he begins to just go into this. Like, here's exactly what the king should do to the person he wants to honor. And of course, that's going to be me, right? And so he was making all sorts of assumptions. So he, he just lays it on thick. And, you know, in the humor of God, 
He has to take and accomplish all that he said, marching them down in the royal robes and with royal horses down the streets. He has to take and he has to lead uh, uh, Mordecai down the roads and declare to the, to the pit on, on folks there in Shushan, uh, this is the man uh, whom the king delights to honor. I mean, it's just a mind-blowing thing. But God had positioned Esther and positioned Mordecai in a key place of influence and, 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 and in providential time, the right time, the right, um, the right place to hear this plot against the king. And what was this all opening up to? Just increasing their influence there before the king and also sustaining the life, uh, the life of, of, of Mordecai, um, which would have connection to Esther, which would allow for uh, saving the life of the Jews. And so let's continue to think about this, this position between life and death, because what happens is, is Haman's not happy. He wants to annihilate the Jewish people. And so he goes after them, and he comes up with a plan to annihilate them on a certain day, and this plan comes up before um, Mordecai, and certainly as a leader among the Jewish uh, people, he goes to sackcloth and ashes, a, a token of their, their mourning, begins weeping in the king's gate. This word comes to Esther, and uh, he goes, how can I not be weeping? How can I not be? Our people are in jeopardy now. They're all going to die. And so, uh, and so he comes to Esther and says, listen, Esther, you got to go before the king and you, gotta, you got to, to plead our case. And that's where we pick up in Esther chapter number four in verse number 10. Again, Esther spake unto Hattach, and gave him commandment unto Mordecai. All the king's servants and all the people of the king's provinces do know that whatsoever, whether man or woman, shall come unto the king into the inner court, who he is not called, there is a one law of his to put him to death, except such to whom the king should hold out the golden scepter that he may live. What's being said here? Esther's saying, hey, there's a law in our land. If I go in without an appointment, I'm going to die. That's, that's the law of the land. And Mordecai is saying, hey, listen, you've got to go in and plead our case before the king. And it, it goes on to say, but I have not been. Uh, Esther saying, I have not been called to come in unto the king these 30 days. And they told Mordecai Esther's word. Then Mordecai commanded to answer Esther, think not with thyself that thou art, shall escape in the king's house. Esther, just because you're the queen and you're a Jew, don't think you're going to escape this, this, the fury of Haman and the, the, the happenings of this. Don't think that you're going to be able to hide out there in the palace more than all the other Jews. Verse 14, for if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then the, the enlargement deliverance uh, uh, arise to the Jews from another place. God's going to raise up someone to do it. Don't think that you holding your peace is going to enable you to, to skip out on this one. But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed, and who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? And that question, I see in Esther's life, God just positioning her and positioning her providentially in, in the right place at the right time and giving her different opportunities to do, the right, uh, do what it was right in the eyes of God to bring her to this point. Now, let's think about it for a moment. No other person in the kingdom had this position. No other one, think about her position. She was queen. She had influence over the queen. She had grace and favor in his sight. Uh, Vashti didn't have the Jewish people in her heart. Uh, she did. 
she had concern for her people. And as this plot came up against the Jewish people, uh, the plot by Haman to wipe them all out, and he had lied about them. He had said some pretty grievous things about them, all because he was mad because Mordecai wasn't bowing down to him. His pride was hurt. And so Haman wanted them all to be annihilated throughout the, uh, throughout the, the, the kingdom. And so now she has this special position, influence with the king, concern for her people. And I just want to say this, she had this position between the life and the death of her people. The life and the death of her people. Now think about that in relation to your life. Do you realize that like Esther, you and I have the position as believers between eternal death and eternal life of people. It isn't just between uh, freedom or no freedom. Uh, certainly that was the case in, 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 her, in her life. The freedom of her people, the freedom to live, or the freedom uh, 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 bondage and, and death. But it is literally we have the position, you and I as believers, the gospel in our hearts have the position between eternal death and eternal life. Now think about that. Think about that for the folks that you, you are around on a day-to-day basis. You have position in their life between eternal death and eternal life. You say, how so? The Bible tells us in the book of Proverbs 18 and verse 21 that death and life are in the power of the tongue. Now, in context, it's not referring to the gospel there, but what we say can either lend to death or lend to life. But I will say this, what God has placed in our possession, 2 Corinthians 5 and 19, says to wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing, not accounting their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us, what? The word of reconciliation. The word of reconciliation. You know what God has given to you and I? The ability to speak words that would would make the difference between eternal death in a person's life, eternal death in a place called hell, or eternal life in a place called heaven. What a position that you and I have. And you know that God has not made a mistake in where he's placed you. He has given you just as crucial, well, it's a big deal that she, uh, she was standing between uh, whether her whole, uh, her whole people group was going to be annihilated. Yeah, it is. But you and I right now stand in that same position for our fellow um, brothers and sisters, fellow men and women of mankind. Those that we bump shoulders with all the time. Oh, we have a position. But I want us to notice, she now has this big duty. Is she going to go before the king? Is she going to speak up for her people? Is she going to say the right word? Is she going to be bold? And I want us to notice in verse number 15, as we conclude this, it was a position of total dependence on God. It was a position of total dependence on God. She was going to have to sacrifice self in order to stand up for her people. In order to say the right thing, it was going to require personal sacrifice. So she calls a fast. She calls a fast. She sends back to Mordecai, I want you to gather all the Jews in Shushan, and I want you to fast for me. And I'm going to call all of my maidens together, and we're going to fast. We're going to pray. We're going to seek God. We're going to talk to God about this before I do this. And notice what she says. She goes, in verse number uh, 17, it says, And so will I go in unto the king, which is not according to the law. After we've fasted for these three days, I'm going to go into the king, and if I perish, I perish. Notice the self-resign there. If I perish, I perish. If I die, well, then so be it. I knew I did the right thing for my people. 
And so Mordecai went his way and did according to all that Esther commanded him. She went in, and the story goes on, and we don't have time to get into the rest of the story. That's why we need to read it the rest of this week, okay? And so let's, let's do that. But, but understand that she goes into the king, and she ultimately brings about the rescue of her nation. God uses her. And Haman actually gets hung on the, on the gallows that he, that he built, which is an amazing part of the story as well. But the fact is, she was totally dependent on God and allowed God to use her in this very difficult place to have influence over the king, uh, to do the right thing in the, the, uh, in the providential um, placement that God had placed her to, to stand between death and life of her people. She did the right thing, but she was dependent on God. And let me just say this. You and I need the same spirit of God dependence as Esther had. The same spirit of, Lord, I, I'm willing to sacrifice my reputation. I'm willing to sacrifice my life. I'm willing to sacrifice my ambition so that others can hear your name and so they'll not spend an eternal death in hell. Now, I want you to think about this, and we'll talk more about this at, at other times, but, you know, we think about people dying, and even through this, this pandemic time, and uh, wherever the numbers all are, but you realize every death that, that we talk about in, in our country, every person either goes to heaven or hell. Uh, the people that you work with, they either go to heaven or hell. And we have a huge opportunity to stand between death and life. But it requires God dependence. You and I can't persuade people into heaven. I can't persuade people with the gospel. I can't persuade people to follow God. It requires God dependence. It requires my heart to be one of, Lord, I want you to lead me in the right way this, uh, this day. I want you to lead me to a, to a heart that is open to you. I want you to lead me to people that are asking questions about you. I want you to lead me that way. She sought the Lord, as Psalm 34 and verse number 4 says, I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me out of all my fears. I would have liked to have been there when Esther marched into the, uh, the inner court of King Ahasuerus. I would have liked to have been there as, as the audience might have gasped, What's going to happen? What's he going to do? And he extends the golden scepter. I'd like to have been there uh, as, as a story continued to play out. But as she continued to honor God in this place that God had positioned her, we might not be a queen inside of a king's court, but God has positioned you in a specific place. He's positioned me. And let's be faithful to the Lord. You know what? My heart's heavy. Your heart's heavy. No matter where you are in the midst of all these, uh, all these things, and this isn't, this isn't a political thing, this is, this is just a matter, it, it's a heavy thing to be living in these days. We're seeing things I've never seen before and you've never seen before, right? But you know what? We've got to keep our eyes on God. Esther was living in very difficult times. She, she had never gone through having a knock on the door and being ushered to the king's palace. She could have become the, the crabbiest person in the world. Yet she kept a spirit of grace and she kept on just, like Joseph, just kept on allowing God to be with her and doing the right thing. And God just kept advancing her and advancing her and using her. Don't you want to be like that? Don't you want to be that person that no matter what's going on around us, we don't become cantankerous and all messed up with, with the rest of the world, we just keep a spirit of joy and a, a positive spirit in the Lord. And not, not, not 
power of positive thinking in, in, in so much as a positive spirit in the Lord, a hopeful spirit in the Lord. And so can I just encourage you, make sure, let's finish out this year, this, this week. And who knows what's going to happen tomorrow? Who knows what's going to happen in your life tomorrow? Who knows where God's going to position you tomorrow? But let's be like an Esther that, that takes those moments and does the right thing in those moments and seeks the Lord, is God-dependent, and allows him to continue to uh, work through her. You were not placed on earth during the Dark Ages. You were not placed on earth during the time of Christ. You were not placed on earth during the time of Ahasuerus. You are placed on earth right now. And I believe God wants us to take a story like Esther, and he wants, to say, uh, wants us to say, you know what, Lord, I want to be an Esther in my day. I want to live for you wherever you place me. And by God's grace, let's, uh, let's accomplish that, and let's ask him to help us with that tonight. Father, thank you for your positioning, each one of us, in, in our families, in our workplaces, in our community. And would you help us to be like an Esther? Lord, we have people around us that don't know where they're going to spend eternity. Help us to be able to speak up and speak life into their life, uh, speak of eternal life, and speak the gospel, and help them to understand how they can know for certain they're on their way to heaven. Help us to go forward in all these things with God dependence, uh, realizing we can't do it on our own. There are going to be sacrifices that we're called to make, and we can't do it on our own. Help us to be like an Esther who was, who was dependent on you. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would just uh, encourage our hearts with this story, Continue to help us learn as we read it through the rest of this week. We pray that you'll be glorified in our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening today. For more information about Grace Baptist Church, please visit our website at gracebaptistofkettering.org. And remember, you are always welcome at Grace Baptist Church.